we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor, Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer, Grant Wall, and SI.com's Levy Bird. Guys, this is a, a special second podcast of the week edition. We are ramping it up. I hope you guys were able to listen to, to Grant's chat with Jeremy Schapp about uh, E60's documentary on FIFA and Sepp Blatter. Pretty fascinating discussion on a on a great, great documentary. Uh, Grant, Livy, welcome. Good to be here. Podcast galore this week. We are we are going ham. Livy, welcome back. It's been a, a few weeks uh, since we had you in the mix, but always good to rotate you aboard. It's always nice to be here. Um, guys, let's, let's go a little U.S.-centric today. I think we're going to keep it domestic for the most part. Uh, U.S. national team is a the men's national team anyway is a, a couple of high-profile friendlies coming up against the Netherlands on June 5th and Germany on June 10th. Uh, Josie Altidore down for the next month month plus with a hamstring issue. It always seems like it's someone's hamstring keeping this team from full strength. Uh, Grant, I guess big picture, you know the two friendlies, the results don't really matter so much, but you would like to see a full strength U.S. squad against these two teams, and, and you're just not going to get it. Yeah, it's a big bummer for Josie Altidore. Here's a guy who uh, would probably be starting up top for the U.S. if he were healthy. Uh, He missed the last game against Mexico, serving a a U.S. Soccer Institute red card suspension uh, that he got from the previous game. Uh, And now he's out four to five weeks with another hamstring injury, bringing us back to last year when he got the same type of injury on a different leg at the World Cup. And uh, you certainly hope uh, for his sake that this isn't something that becomes a pattern. Soft tissue injuries, non-contact injuries are something you don't want to make a habit of. And it was he was just starting to get into a rhythm with Toronto that he told me he'd been looking forward to because there's a lot of start-stop with them for a while. Uh, really wanted to get going and suddenly this happens again. And so clearly we're not going to see him for the Netherlands or Germany friendlies. Uh, Gold Cup, we'll have to wait and see because... Um, you know, it's it's in July, and there is the possibility of bringing in new players for the knockout round. So clearly not out of the Gold Cup, but, you know, discouraging nonetheless. Yeah, definitely. And he had, well, I think it was five goals uh, in league appearances. I think another one in the Canadian Championship for Toronto FC. Uh, like you said, starting to build, build a bit of a rhythm uh, and building a rhythm with Michael Bradley also, which obviously would have or could have translated to the international level, but that leaves the U.S. shorthanded up top. Uh, I'll leave you one thing that the U.S. has going for it, though, is the fact that Aaron Johansson, 
uh, is in some pretty spectacular form uh, to to close out his season in the Netherlands. Is is he a guy that you see kind of just stepping into that role as as Altidore? I mean, it's they're not the same kind of player, but in terms of production level and and form, you would figure that he's he's kind of the guy that's going to get the first crack. It seems to be that way right now, and and like you say, Johansson's not only is he in great form, he's been scoring some spectacular goals as well. So. Uh, you know the U.S. can always use some more production from the forward position, whether they play one or two or, or however many they decide to play in each game. And he really does seem to be kind of in form right now. Uh, you know, say what you will about Eredivisie defenses, but he's still scoring goals. And and for a forward, I mean, scoring goals at any level is a good thing, and it's it'll build confidence. And if nothing else, moving forward, he'll be playing against at least some of the players he's familiar with if, if he does get called in against the Netherlands and, and even against Germany. I mean, it's a similar style, um, similar types of players. So it, it could definitely be a good opportunity for him to, to get back in the picture and really to, to, to make his mark and say, hey, I'm, I'm still here and I'm still you know, very much a, a part of the U.S. national team picture moving into something like the Gold Cup, which it'd be interesting to see him play in the Gold Cup for sure. And it's it's funny because you know we talk about last year Altidore's position and and being hurt in the World Cup. Johansson was hurt right before the World Cup. Uh, you know had this ankle injury that really hampered his summer. So maybe it's redemption time for him that he can he can kind of seize the opportunity with the U.S. Um, but Grant, who, who are some of the other guys uh, that you could see potentially filling the void, um, at least in these two friendlies, and then if need be down the line in the Gold Cup based on kind of current form and and who's been in Klinsman's good graces. Well, I think Juan Agudelo is a guy that stands out right now as a guy who uh, scored against Mexico coming on as a sub, uh, has had a, a good season so far with New England, seems to be rediscovering his scoring touch after being out in the weeds for quite a while, actually, several months. And, and there's so many of these, or at least several of these, still young U.S. forwards, guys in their 20s, and, and Agudelo's on the younger side of that, who, if they can get into a rhythm... I think Agudelo really has an opportunity here, and I'm curious to see what Klinsman does. Um, does he bring Jordan Morris in uh, because he started Morris ahead of Agudelo against Mexico, and, and obviously Morris scored. So there's another guy that you have to wonder, is he going to be in the mix? Um, Charlie Davies is kind of a question mark as well. Now, obviously, he's playing right next to Agudelo uh, with New England, and Davies is not the player that he was before his accident in 2009, nowhere near as fast, and yet it's almost like uh, a basketball player who's all about athleticism that learns how to, how to do a turnaround jump shot later in his career. Like he, Davies has found ways to become effective. He's become a smarter player positionally uh, when you see some of the goals he's been scoring lately for New England, uh, will Jurgen Klinsmann include him on the roster? I don't know. He hasn't uh, yet. Davies had a four-game scoring streak for New England. Uh, he hasn't scored in the last couple now, and of course that's because Brian Strauss wrote about, about him for SI.com and, and the, the classic SI jinx, right? Uh, but it's a great story, though, and, and it's about how he's kind of evolved as as a player, like you're talking about um, both on and, and off the field and, and how he's kind of changed his expectations when he first came back uh, to MLS with D.C., and, and was really just getting back into the mix, you know, he, he talked a lot about wanting to get back to the national team. I don't think he mentioned that once in his chat with Brian. Uh, and that kind of shows, um, you know, he's just kind of letting 
the business end of things be, be taken care of first before before looking that far ahead. Um, so we'll see. I, I think these two friendlies are a good opportunity. Um, but but knowing Klinsman and his pattern of calling in players, he kind of tends to go with the guys that he knows, uh, which which would open the door, you would think, for Chris Wondolowski again. Uh, he's on the cusp of 100 MLS career goals, which would make him the ninth player all-time to do that. Liviu, do you see Wondolowski uh, still in the mix. He's he's aging. He obviously had that miss against Belgium in the World Cup, but he's been welcomed back with open arms, and he's can he's been a regular call up under Klinsman. Is he he a guy that not only do you think will be there, but do you think he can step into that void? Yeah, it, those are I think those are two kind of separate questions. It's because Klinsman does seem to to like Wando for for several reasons. You know, I mean, he likes to say he's a pure a pure giver. You know, all, all the usual Klinsman. Uh, um, platitudes, but he's you know by all for all intents and purposes he's a good leader. He he can be there for the younger the younger players and really um, kind of show them what it means to be a professional. And uh, you know this is a guy who really you know as, as we've said plenty of times about him. He's brought himself up from you know he he was making just pennies basically, and now he's on a designated player contract. So he knows what it takes to really break through and and be. You know, become that guy who who people look up to and who people expect to to do good things. You know, obviously he tied the single season MLS record with 27 goals in, in 2012. He's about to hit 100. Um, you know, he he seems to be a guy who Klinsman always uh, always wants to call in. And you know, the other option, of course, is as Klinsman has shown, he'll go and find some player playing in a second or third division somewhere and, and give him a chance. And, and who knows, he'll probably end up scoring two or three goals in the next couple of games. But you just never know with Klinsman. It's either, it seems to be either the players that he knows very well and the players who he knows what he's going to get, or he'll, he'll come out with these, these interesting call-ups that you, make you scratch your head and sometimes end up working out very well for him. So who knows? I mean, it's, it's tough to say who's going to get the call at this point. I would also say a couple of things here is that with Wondolowski, there is national team Wando and there is MLS Wando. And I think you have to separate the two. Uh, I think you can certainly say that at this stage of his career, at his age, you probably as a fan don't want to see him be playing a lot for the U S national team right now in this stage of the cycle. Um, that said, I think he's a good guy to have in camp because he works his tail off and, and Klinsman likes to have guys who are really good team guys in there. So I, I can certainly understand if he's included on the Gold Cup roster. MLS Wando is still very dangerous, uh, still one of the best stories, maybe the best single story in league history from where he's came from, come from to where he is. And getting to 100 goals is no small feat. There are very few MLS players who've done this. It takes longevity, and he's done it differently. He's done almost all of those goals in the last four years or so, and I think he scored 30 more goals or more than any other MLS player during that time. And that's just remarkable and deserves so much uh, in the way of compliments to, to what Wanda has done in MLS. I would also say about the U.S. national team, Keep an eye on Clint Dempsey here and, and what his role is. You know, here's the captain, and yet he hasn't been involved a heck of a lot with the national team lately. Wasn't involved in the Mexico game. Um, wasn't playing in either of the two Europe games in March. Um, had gotten injured right as he landed almost. And, and from what I'm told, 
not altogether on the same page with Jurgen Klinsmann right now related to to fitness stuff from January, related to um, just his feelings of, of playing for the national team. So um, I, I'm very curious to observe this Dempsey-Klinsman relationship moving forward. I was curious about that too, actually. And, and it's funny because, you know, he wasn't called in for the Mexico game, yet he's playing three days later for the Seattle Sounders. And I I thought that that kind of went a little under the radar. Um, I I mean, I don't see how he isn't a part of, of this team uh, coming up in a couple of weeks uh, given how he's played for Seattle. I mean, no, he's, he's, been terrific. Yeah, he's been great. And, and you wrote about his partnership with Obafemi Martins and how they've all worked together uh, under Ante Razov, who's an assistant in Seattle. Um, so we'll see about about Dempsey. And, and that's definitely something to keep an eye on. And, and spinning it back to, to Razov a little bit, I was doing crunching some numbers. And, and with Wando, you know, if he keeps the pace that he's on uh, this season, it's possible that he passes Razov, who's on 114 goals right now for his career in MLS uh, for fourth all-time. And to think that Chris Wondolowski could be the fourth all-time leading scorer in MLS history is, is kind of bananas. Um, but I think you looked at the same table I was looking at because I was, I was going to mention something about that as well. The only active player ahead of Wondolowski right now is Edson Buttle, who hit 100 midway through last year and has been stuck on that number ever since. So sort of um, yeah, I, think, I think passing Razov is, is realistic. And passing Jason Kreis at number five on 108 goals is... I guess a little bit more reachable probably, but it's. I wouldn't be too surprised to see him jump all the way to fourth. Yeah, definitely definitely attainable. Um, all right, so let's let's keep it with national team, but, but change it from men to women. We'll also keep it in, in for, the forward conversation. Uh, the U.S. women's national team, one more send-off game uh, prior to the Women's World Cup. It's against South Korea at Red Bull Arena on May 30th, coming up pretty soon. Uh, and the U.S., they're coming off a 5-1 win over Mexico in which Sidney LaRue got a start, played fantastically, scored a couple of goals. Abby Wambach scored a couple of goals. And now you've got a, a very deep forward core grant that, you know, everyone's kind of jockeying for position for that opener against Australia in the World Cup. And it's interesting. I mean, it's the permutations have changed considerably. And I'm wondering who you think might be in that starting lineup on, on the first game. Well, what's fascinating to me is, one, how much depth there is. You've got several players there who could theoretically start games at forward for the U.S. in the World Cup, but also how unsettled it is even now. And it's unsettled across the board. Alex Morgan uh, is about probably the only forward who's a guaranteed starter if she's healthy, and she's missed the last two games. Uh, Precautionary, says Jill Ellis, due to this knee bruise, but... Suddenly it's gone from missing those two games to Ellis saying, well, it's 50-50 that Morgan won't play in the last send-off game against South Korea. And so as we get closer and closer to the World Cup, you start wondering how serious this is and if there is a chance this could affect Alex Morgan's World Cup. Uh, I know they're being precautionary, but it's still worrisome if you're a U.S. fan. Now, it's a good thing if you're a U.S. fan. You see Sidney LaRue come out, get her first start in a long time, and score two good goals against Mexico. Now, she's not at 100% health either, uh, but she's playing through her issues, uh, still appears to have her speed, uh, seems to be getting sharper on her finishing, uh, you know, has been training well the last couple of camps. Uh, then there's Abby Wambach, who has been scoring goals, hasn't been starting every game, started against Ireland, didn't start against Mexico, 
but is having an influence and seems to be rounding into her World Cup form, which she's been pointing toward for a long time, but hasn't always been in that form, as she has admitted. So she's involved as well. Then there's Amy Rodriguez, who uh, was starting games until recently and seemed to be doing quite well, according to uh, Jill Ellis, as a kind of a setup forward, uh, a second forward. Uh, and then there's Kristen Press, who started up at forward the last game um, instead of out wide uh, as a midfielder. Now, Press is going to start. The question is where she's going to start. And uh, and that's a, a tough question of, of where she's most effective. And I'd be curious to hear Leview, actually, because uh, he's written about Kristen Press, where he thinks she would be most effective on the field. You know, it's it's an interesting question, one that, that I, I was questioning myself when I was watching the last game. But I think it, it partly depends on who the U.S. plays against because – I think against against Ireland, we saw a little bit more of, of an emphasis on trying to play through the middle uh, of a team that was going to pack it in and, and try to sit back. And so um, the wingers were staying a little bit wider, and there was a little bit more emphasis on on circulating the ball. It, it wasn't fast enough. The ball wasn't moving fast enough, I didn't think. But um, then against Mexico, you see um, both Megan Rapino on the left, and you get Morgan Bryan on the right, who traditionally plays in the middle, but she can play out wide. And they were both uh, crisscrossing into the middle very frequently, um, Kristen Press was playing up top, and there was a little bit more, uh, I guess, a little bit more of a dynamic element to the attack there. And then when you get Sydney LaRue, whose who's pace in behind uh, Mexico's back line, which they were holding a pretty high line all game, um, you know, just all the elements kind of came together, and, and they you know, eventually, once they started scoring, it, it's, it really picked up for the U.S., and they played very well. Um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned LaRue. Her last goal before... Her breakout against Mexico came in a 6-0 win over Costa Rica in World Cup qualifying. So it, it's been a while since she's been on the score sheet. Um, I, if it were me at this point, I would probably save LaRue and, and Wambach for later in the game when, when defense is tired and Wambach has you know the size and physicality to really cause problems against tired defenders and, and LaRue coming out and, and sprinting at 100% on turf, which is always a little bit easier to get speed than, than grass, which can be a little heavier. Um, I think they could be very dangerous there. Kristen Press, I, I, would, I, would, I think she'll probably start on the right wing at this point. It just seems like she's been, that's kind of the spot that she's locked down for herself. And it also offers, you know, it leaves Morgan Bryan as a bit of a, of a later sub in the middle um, when, when the U.S., if the U.S. needs to, to find some, you know, find some fresh legs in the middle of the field to break through Maybe a packed-in defense. Maybe maybe they need to, to get somebody on the ball who can who can pick out passes. Um, so, like you say, there's just a number of different combinations right now. But I would be surprised. I think if Press started anywhere but right wing at this point. At the end of the day, it's it's a good problem to have, right? I mean, these are all dynamic, potentially dynamic players, uh, and over the course of a long tournament or at least a lot of games in a short period of time, really. I mean, if they make it to the final, you're looking at seven games in about a month. Uh, you're you're going to need some different combinations, and I think that's Jill Ellis, despite a, a lot of her critics, has has been pretty steadfast in mixing up the starting lineups and change, trying out those different combinations, seeing what works, what doesn't. And I think she's got one more game to, to do that again, and we'll see who ends up getting the start there and what kind of clues we can 
gleaned from that. Um, but at the end of the day, there there are options, and it doesn't look like Abby Wambach's NWSL hiatus has really hurt her too much. I think she she's been doing what she's doing. She's missed a couple of headers that you can point to and say, oh, maybe if she had more games, then, then maybe. No, I, I just think that that happens in the course of a game. I mean, she's scoring goals. Um, getting into dangerous positions, and ultimately, I, it looks like they're peaking at the right time, Grant. It seems like they are, you know, and I know that Ellis certainly has her critics out there, uh, and what we've seen is her experiment with some things and move away from things. You know, there was Carly Lloyd playing out wide uh, at the start of the year, but then she's now back in the center with Lauren Holiday. Um, you know, there's... Uh, a choice that appears to have been made with Julie Johnston starting at center back over Christy Rampone, the the captain. And uh, I think she deserves that. And I think it's an example that Ellis is willing to reward people uh, who get opportunities. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about Julie Johnston's story. You know, she's, there's been three different injuries that have allowed her to at least get on the field and make her mark. And she's certainly done that. Um, you know, you look at how this team is coming together, and it's been a process. And yet, uh, I still have some concerns about when they play against the top teams, like a France, like a Germany, if maybe there isn't enough steel in the central midfield, uh, especially to guard against counterattacks. But at the same time, I, I see Holiday and Lloyd as, as a pretty good central midfield. I'd actually like to see a little more from Holiday. I think she's not been what she could be for several games now. And that's someone who really should be the best passer on the team and be a bit more influential on games. But she also needs to defend a little. And and so does Lloyd. And so far in recent games, they've been doing that, but against opposition that is admittedly not great. Yeah, and that's the thing is that one of the reasons that I think Holiday isn't really giving as much as she could at this point is because she she's being asked to play that lower role and being asked to to defend a little bit, which, I mean, it's not like she can't defend. It's just that she's not quite as used to having to defend. And if you take a passer like that, and, you know, I you know what, what Ellis is trying to do. She's trying to get kind of a deep-lying distributor type. You know, you think of Andrea Pirlo, um, who just hit his 36th birthday um, and is still just insane in central midfield that's the kind of thing that I think Ellis is going for is trying to get somebody in that spot who can distribute but at the same time you know I would like like you said I'd like to see more out of her I think if she played higher up the field it would be a little bit easier for for her to show more and and honestly I think part of the reason that Ellis has her critics is because because of players like Julie Johnston right there's a number of uh, younger American players who just for one reason or another can't seem to get an opportunity unless the right number of injuries happens and, and, you know, if they're called up at the right time and just happen to be there, then maybe they get thrown in. And I think there needs to be a little bit more of a willingness to, to throw some of these players out there. And, you know, Julie Johnson's an option that I wouldn't mind seeing kind of in a, a defensive midfield type role. Um, you can move Holiday and Lloyd higher up the field if you, if you put her there. If Rampone's healthy enough to come back in and, and start and play 90 minutes. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I think uh, would take this U.S. team to the next level is maybe having a little bit more willingness to to throw some of these players in when they've shown, um, you know, for instance, at the U-20 World Cup when Johnson and, and Morgan Bryan played so well for the U.S., um, take some of those players and, and throw them in and see what they can do maybe before you get a number of injuries and, and have to put them in there. 
one other quick point I would make is Hope Solo is often, almost always mentioned as the best goalkeeper in the world on on broadcasts. And she's a very good goalkeeper who on her day is capable of being the best goalkeeper in the world. But she made a mistake on that goal that Mexico scored the other night and came off her line too late. Uh, Mexico ends up scoring on the set piece, taking a 1-1 tie into halftime. And we've seen in, in NWSL a couple of those situations as well with Solo. And, um, you know, she's she's terrific and she needs to be out there, I think, if the U.S. is going to win the World Cup. But she also needs to get a little bit sharper. I'll agree with that completely. And, and that's that's a point I made, I think, in my, my post-game story when I wrote it, is that she's she's had those situations. The, the crosses that come in earlier from a little bit higher up the field it's a tough situation for a goalkeeper. The flight of the ball is different than it is on a corner kick. It's hard to tell, you know, where's the ball going to drop? Am I going to be able to get there before the defenders who are running straight at me? It's, it's a difficult situation and, and one that, um, one that I, I don't think Solo has to handle very often uh, when she plays for the U.S. because a lot of times, you know, teams aren't really serving that ball in and they aren't really getting dangerous opportunities like that. But, I mean, I agree. I, I thought that she she should have done better there. She hesitated just for a split second, and that was all all it needed to to drop and and uh, you know for an easy finish basically. And and yeah, there there are, there are times like that where it does look like she needs to get a little bit sharper in those situations. Well, the U.S. women have have one more game to fine tune and and kind of work out those kinks and see what works best. Uh, and and we'll see it very soon in, in a little more than a week's time. Uh, again, South Korea, May 30th at Red Bull Arena before it's destination Canada. Um, guys, I, I want to wrap up with some some MLS talk. A um, couple things, really. First, Grant, what do you make about this Miami expansion team in, in NASL? It definitely seemed like, at least from a PR standpoint, it was it was some legitimate shots fired. You've got a European icon playing you know, jumping the gun on, on MLS. They've got a team in 2016 ready to go. There's no stadium situation to worry about. They're going to play in an existing stadium. I believe one of the existing world-class stadiums, as it was put uh, so eloquently in, in the team's release, Miami FC. Uh, and yet here is MLS with David Beckham at the helm, uh, still cranking out that stadium situation. No idea when they're going to start playing. Uh, but right now, it would appear, at least on the public surface, it's advantage Paolo Maldini in NASL. <laughs> well, Paolo Maldini, one of the owners of this new NASL team, is going to start in Miami. And um, a couple of things I would say here. Um, there's a back and forth going on between MLS and the NASL. And we've seen situations like Minnesota, for example, where you have an existing NASL team that's going to move to MLS. And that's a loss for the NASL. Um, we've seen... Uh, the competition here in New York between the NASL Cosmos and the MLS teams here. Uh, we've seen uh, Atlanta is a place where it's hard to imagine the NASL team doing very well there with the start of a new MLS team in 2017. So uh, a lot of back and forth. And we've seen some very famous ex-players become part of ownership groups lately for NASL teams. Uh, Brazilian Ronaldo for Fort Lauderdale, uh, Paolo Maldini now in in Miami. Uh, obviously, Pelé has been connected to the Cosmos on a few occasions here. So um, first off, what I'd say about Maldini is I am always struck by how much respect this guy has 
from other superstars. And, and you guys know I, I love doing these rapid-fire quizzes with very famous ex-players. And one of the questions I always ask is, who is the toughest defender you ever went up against? And whether it's Raul or Ronaldo or anyone basically from that era, they always say Maldini. Like, it's, it's incredible. And so it's, what's funny to me is this might be the one guy that's cooler than David Beckham as far as ex-soccer players. And, and here he is moving into Miami. Um, curious to see how much of a role he actually plays. Is he going to be active or not? And also, too, I mean, look, this this doesn't discourage MLS. I, I don't think in in the least. I mean, they'll they'll happily go about their business. It it's it's not a great look for them if you're a casual soccer fan and you're seeing this NISL team pop up and wondering what MLS's deal is. But at the end of the day, if we fast forward a few years and you've got Beckham running a team and Maldini running running a team in the same city, Miami's going to be a pretty awesome place to be. Uh, also, there's a pretty big saturation of soccer teams now and. In uh, in Florida, I mean, you look at Jacksonville, Tampa, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, uh, Orlando City, obviously in MLS, um, things are are really, really going strong in a an area that was kind of a, a wasteland for a while, and so you're you're kind of seeing a, a renaissance there now. Whether it works is is another thing altogether. But we'll, I mean, we'll find out. 2016, 2018, 2019, whenever whenever MLS uh, launches down there. Um, I, I just one thing I, I did want to say is I I got a strange sense of joy from kind of the, the underhanded snark in the press release from Miami <laughs> FC. Miami FC, which will be the city's only professional soccer club, you know, will will play its home games in one of the existing world class stadiums of Miami, and it's uh, is it's great it's great theater if nothing else. And it was I don't know I was sitting here giggling to myself reading that press release, just thinking of. I mean, you know, what, what are the, the honchos in the MLS office going to think when, when that runs across their inbox and they're going, wow, look at this. They're just, they're, they're really just, just trolling us right now. Well, it really sets the table for, for MLS's release when, when it comes out, whenever uh, things get settled down there. And, and that, should, that should make for some, some interesting theater. Well, and the lingering question for me with the NASL is, what are the ambitions of this league? And, and are specific teams like New York and Fort Lauderdale and maybe this Miami team, is their ambition to to surpass MLS? You know, I don't know if Edmonton, another NASL team, really has an ambition to surpass MLS. And so I'm curious to see where the NASL goes with this. But it's very clear that when it comes to recruiting new owners and, and some very big name owners, there seems to be a lower barrier of entry into NASL. And so... This is going to be an ongoing storyline, but I want to know about their ambitions more and more uh, and what they really want to do. I think NASL appeals to those foreign investors because of the fact that it's something a little bit closer to what they're used to. There's no salary cap. There's no no player draft or any of that kind of stuff. And it it might not be sanctioned as the Division I league right now in the U.S., but I think that familiarity and that you know, that ability to, to kind of do whatever it is that you want to do with your team. I think that really helps draw these names in, uh, whereas in MLS it, it is a little bit different, and we've seen a lot of, of foreign coaches and players come in and, and struggle to adapt, um, some successfully eventually, and some who just throw up their hands and leave. But uh, it, it's it's a different kind of system, and it's it's interesting that it's, you know, it's a little bit closer to the European system, Um in terms of how open the market is. So I think that that helps attract some some of these bigger names. 
at the end of the day, uh, another strong soccer league in this country is not a bad thing if you're a fan. Um, you know, it's it's more options, it's competition, it pushes MLS to to raise its game uh, and and USL and their partnership, obviously. And uh, it's look just another sign of of things on the rise. We hope, anyway, as as fans and and people who work closely to the game. Um, so hey, it's a good storyline, something to watch. Um, and and before we let you guys go, we uh, wrap up Jason Christ's return to Real Salt Lake this weekend. Um, probably the the dominating storyline in in MLS. Livy spent some time uh, in RSL training this week, talking to some of the guys down there. I guess what's what's the sense you get uh, about them? Is this is this a, a weird, awkward occasion? Are they looking forward to it? Have they kind of moved on already? Where where did things kind of stand over there? Well, they they were very diplomatic in dealing with the questions. I mean, everybody had the same questions um, in the interviews when I was at training the other day, and you know. The one thing that really stood out is that when it comes to the game, when the when the whistle blows in between the white lines, both teams are going to be fighting for three points, and both teams really need a win right now. So um, I think that's that's really it. Just adds to it, I think, a little bit the idea that not only are is you know Jason Christ coming back, but it's not exactly just going to be about that. It's going to be about two teams that really could use a victory right now. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you press these guys a little further and you say like. You know, are you looking forward to it? Is it, is this something that you, you think is going to be fun? Or you know, and everybody says, yeah, it'll be nice to see Jason again. You know, it'll be nice to see. It's not just Jason, obviously, uh, Jason Christ, but it's also um, you know Ned Grabovoy is coming back and Chris Winger, guys who were there in RSL's, I guess you could call it uh, golden era. If you you know, winning MLS Cup in two thousand nine, making it to the Champions League final two thousand eleven, and really. In my mind, the sense I get is that this is a team that's still kind of in that shadow, so to speak. They're really searching for what's the next step going to be right now. You know, Jeff Kassar has has tweaked the the tactical setup a couple times. Uh, they went back to you know a four four two type of thing, and and you I asked him after the game uh, against the Galaxy when Nick Romando saved the PK in stoppage time to to preserve a scoreless draw. I say so it looks like you kind of moved back toward the diamond and. And Kassar was very quick to say, oh, it's not a diamond. You know, that, and kind of the, the, the thought I had was that, you know, that was Jason Kreiss's thing is the diamond and, and RSL's really trying to move away from that. It's, you know, call it whatever it is. It's a 4-1-3-2. It looks basically like a diamond when they're defending. So in my mind, it's, it's practically the same thing. Um, but it's, it's really interesting to see this club kind of try to find a way to, to move on. But they obviously still have a great reverence for what Jason Christ did here. And, and everybody is uh, very appreciative of, of all the work that he did. And now it's, it's a completely different team. I mean, Garth Lagerway's not here anymore either. And it's, it's really, you get this sense that RSL is in a way trying to find itself again. I think also too, Jason Christ is so consumed right now with just trying to get any points possible for his NYCFC team. They're not a good team. He knows it. In fact, he's kind of embarrassed by it. And so, you know, when, when I've seen him after a couple of these games recently here in New York, he just looks inconsolable. And I think there was one moment in, in the halls of uh, uh, Yankee Stadium after a game, I think it was the one against Seattle, where he walked by me and I said, I think you guys would get there eventually. And he's like, really? You sure? <laughs> and, you know, he's just a coach right now who's trying to find solutions. And I think it's going to really... 
uh, take some upgrades. It's going to take Frank Lampard coming in this summer. It's going to take some uh, new players at other positions as well uh, before we see NYCFC start to get to where it could be. And perhaps going back to his first coaching home, I guess, uh, is is the place to get it done. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a nice pregame reception. I'm sure the Rio Tinto crowd will, will have nothing but ad, admiration for, for him before the game. But then, Levy, like you said, when, when the whistle blows, these are, these are two teams that could use a win. So we will definitely see what happens. Um, I think that that's a good leaving off point for us. We appreciate you guys uh, joining in for a second time this week. More podcasts, more fun. Thank you to Grant Wall and Libby Bird, and we will talk to you guys next week. the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.